and coming in the likeness of men. Taking the form of the bondservant means that he embraced the will of God that was in eternity past to map out the plan for redeeming mankind, knowing man would fall, right? The plan was mapped out. He became a bondservant. A bondservant to what? The will of the Father. And coming in the likeness of men, to do this, he had to empty himself. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's Jesus. Now when Jesus suffered the shame of the cross, it was for the joy set before him. The, the, the joy was rooted in the knowledge of how it's going to pave the way for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in those who believe in him. Now if you remember, all throughout the Old Covenant, there was just pockets and moments the Holy Spirit would come and fill and overflow a prophet and they would move in the supernatural in a moment and the moment would be gone. And only... God knew when the next moment would come. Only God knew. And in fact, Israel had long periods of time when there was no word. In fact, through the, from the ending of the Old Testament scriptures to the time of the New Testament scriptures that pick up where Jesus shows up on the scene, there's been 400 years of silence. There's been no prophetic word. None. So you would think that after 400 years of no movement of God and prophetic nature among the, his people, that they would be most eager and excited to have it again. That's why so many turned out for John the Baptist, by the way. Who was a weird guy? Clothed in camel's hair and a diet of locusts. Probably had some locust waves sticking in his teeth. Didn't have two brushes back then, man. They didn't use a rag or their finger, you know. There's some water. They didn't have toothpaste. They didn't have all the modern conveniences we had. Just think of how strange John must have appeared. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. After all this time of silence, all of a sudden, John breaks on the scene, lifting up his voice. Spirit of Elijah is upon him. Filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. Interesting, isn't it? But see, even John went through that thing of not sensing any inness of the Holy Spirit when he's in prison under suffering. Because he sends word to Jesus through one of his disciples, the very one that he's been promoting, he sends a word, he says, are you the one, or shall we look for another? Now, if John could have had the Spirit, like we're entitled to have the Spirit, he wouldn't have had to ask that question. There'd be no need to ask that question. But he's experiencing things as a man without the continual presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, think about this. If you look at Hebrews 12, 2, it's profound what it says there. Of course, it's preceded by verse 1, where it's talking about the great cloud of witnesses laying aside every weight and the sin, not the sins, plural, the sin that so easily besets us. Not dealing with your moral mistakes. It's dealing with unbelief. It's the sin of unbelief that plagues people. More than anything else. It's the sin of unbelief that snares us. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And it goes into verse 2, and it says, looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. So let's consider the phrase despising the shame. Because we're talking about getting over ourselves. The cross meant being misunderstood by man in order to do the will of the Father. Now that's a Think about this. Think of how huge the disconnect must have been for people. It was even a disconnect for his own disciples. Think of how huge the disconnect would be to be being called the Master, the Messiah, the Anointed One, He who is to come and is now arrived. And here you are on a cross. Because the Holy Spirit led you there. You don't think Jesus knew that there was going to be a whole lot of confusion occurring? A whole lot of misunderstanding taking place? A whole lot of questions in the minds of a whole lot of people? See, the cross was an instrument of shame. That's what it was. The world, the enemy, and dead religion do their best to shame anyone intent on yielding to God. And they especially target those yielded to the Spirit. Jesus was yielded to the Spirit. He was targeted. What the enemy didn't know is God knew that he would be targeted and planned to use it against the enemy. Why? Because God is smarter than your greatest enemy. He's wiser than your arch enemy. He's wiser than you are. He's wiser than any of us. Right? So while doing God's will on the cross, religious leaders and others hurled insects, insults at Jesus and mocked him. Think about that. They're trying to shame Jesus at the cross. But Jesus went to the cross despising the shame. <clears throat> he was willing to suffer that shame for the joy that was set before him. Now the joy of knowing you and I would be brought into fellowship with the Father, Himself, and the Holy Spirit is what gave Jesus joy. That's the source of the joy. Jesus' prayer in John 17 reveals this yearning that Jesus had, that we would be one with the Father and the Spirit, just as Jesus was one with the Father and the Spirit. John 17 is not about worldwide church unity. Amen. John 17 is about you as a believer, a child of God, having perfect unity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's, right. That's the essence of the prayer. Now, if we're all seeking that, unity amongst us comes a whole lot easier. But the goal of the prayer is not our unity here. It's our unity there. And all you need to know is if you're in unity there, Jesus is not against the parts of his body. How many of you get up in the morning and say, hand, I hate you. I just can't stand to see you every day. In fact, every time I see you, it just depresses me. I wish you would just go away. If we caught somebody doing that, we would want them to go to an institution, get into some medication, and start having some counselor sit with them to get their thinking straight. Jesus is not against his body. Come on. And if he's not, and I'm in unity with him, I'm not. That's right. Are you hearing me? So, 
Jesus is on the cross. He get, he's being insulted, mocked, suffering the shame for a joy. A joy of knowing this unity is going to come into our lives. He didn't go through all that he had, that all that to have us pick and choose which member of the Trinity we prefer to associate with or identify with the most. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go suffer some shame. I'm going to shed some blood. I'm going to give my life so that you guys can decide which of the three you like the best. Jesus wants us to have the same unity he had with the Father and the Spirit, but you cannot enjoy what he gave his life to secure if you ignore the Holy Spirit, refuse to get over yourself and get out of his way to walk in the path that he sets. Now often, when someone talks of taking up their cross and denying themselves, it's in line with striving to be more moral. That's how they're using it. Now I realize that there's a calling to be dead to sin and alive to God. But being alive to God involves the work of the Spirit. Jesus did not take up his cross to encourage us to double down in our moral efforts. And this is where getting out of the Holy Spirit's way comes in. What does that look like? Getting out of the Holy Spirit's way. We need to get over ourselves. Look, it, the way the Holy Spirit works doesn't make sense to the world. And it's sad to say, but it doesn't make sense to a large part of the church either. Because in these modern times, much of the church has gotten out of step with understanding how the Spirit of God operates. There's nothing normal about spitting in the clay, taking some clay, spitting it, making a mud ball, putting it on some guy's eyes and telling him to go wash the pool of Siloam. Siloam, that's going to cure your blind eyes. That's not normal. It's not even scientific. There is nothing normal about some guy who can't speak and you tell him to put his tongue out and you spit on it. That's not scientific. In fact, science would say, don't you dare do that. That's how diseases get spread. You can give it COVID. Come on. You don't think if Jesus showed up today and did that, that the, that the government police forces wouldn't be... The politically correct Nazis wouldn't be all over him in a minute? Come on. And, it, and, and he would have religious leaders on their side against him. Oh, we owe some taxes. Go down, throw a line of water, catch fish, get coin out of his mouth. That's normal. <laughs> That's just, everybody does that. Go on across the lake. I'll join you later. And here he comes a-walking on the water. That's normal. We see that every day. <laughs> There's nothing normal about the work of the Spirit. It's not like you can sit and explain it in some kind of scientific, detailed fashion that's going to satisfy all the critics and the cynics. But if you're going to be moved by critics and cynics, you can't despise the shame. You can't get over yourself. And if you can't get over yourself, come on. Let's talk about what taking up your cross to follow Christ means. It means being just as willing to despise the shame to embrace all the will of God for you. And that begins with trusting the Holy Spirit. If you can't trust the Holy Spirit, you can't begin this, this process. You can't begin the process of getting out of the way. See, it's like this. You're leading a hike. You're the leader of the hike. But there are several people on the hike that don't trust that you're going in the right direction. That you're doing it right. So they keep trying to get up ahead of you. And they keep going off on paths that are not part of the hike. In fact, they lead to nowhere and you know it. Because you're the hike leader. You know that path is a dead-end path. 
into a national forest that's easy to get lost in, but yet they're wanting to go down that path and expect that you as a leader will follow them down the path and take whoever's truly following you with them. But see, the smart person doesn't try to get ahead of the leader. They fall in behind. And they go where they're being taken. Jesus said to Peter in the prophecy, he said, Peter, do you love me? You know, Peter denied him three times. So three times Jesus asked him the question. And then after he says, Lord, you know I love you. And not only just, I love you more than me. And Jesus says, Peter, the time is coming when you'll be carried, not by your own power, but by the hands of others. To, to endure what I've set aside for you to go through. And he was talking about the way Peter would die. And so when it came time for Peter to be crucified, he said, don't, don't put me upright. Put me upside down. I'm not worthy like my Lord. I'll die upside down. Peter embraced the shame. Why did he go to the cross? Why was he crucified? Because he was preaching Jesus. And he was moving in the supernatural. Mankind couldn't understand it. A certain element of mankind didn't like that. And they wanted Peter out of the way. Just like they wanted Paul out of the way. And the other apostles. And they did everything they could to try to kill the apostle John. They even boiled him in hot oil and they couldn't kill him. Because God had a different purpose in mind for John. If you can't trust the Holy Spirit, Enough to say, I need to get out of the way and whatever he's doing, that's what I need to be involved with. Amen. You're going to be doing life on your terms. And you're going to get the best you can give yourself. And that's going to be highly limited because you're finite. See, you're in the way of the Holy Spirit when you struggle to trust Trusting requires you to be willing to be misunderstood and following the lead of the Holy Spirit just as Jesus was misunderstood in doing what the Holy Spirit was doing. Getting out of his way often involves getting to a place of not caring what others may think. Now it's not anti-accountability. It's not that. It's not an attitude of a rebel. But it is freedom from overthinking things. Are you ready to become undignified in following the Spirit's lead? Are you willing? Remember, there was nothing dignified about being naked on a cross for all to see. Not dignified. But it was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus all the way in the will of God. And if you're too caught up in yourself... You're too worried about what others might think if you give in to the Holy Spirit's desire to work in and through you. And your fear of failure or what others may think of you will hinder your obedience. So it's time to get out of his way and let him lead you. Much of what is holding the church back in this hour is unbelief and the fear of man. It's true. Because with unbelief comes the fear of man. Unbelief, the spirit of unbelief don't come to you just as a single entity. It comes with a partner. The fear of man. They work together. Because if you're not believing and trusting in the Holy Spirit, guess what's happening? You're worried about how you're being looked at by others. Isn't that what social media is want you to be all concerned with? You gotta, you gotta go about this the right way. You gotta, you gotta present yourself in a, in a, in a light that, that if they were to come and spend three days with you, they think, "Well, wait a minute, that was a lie." I'm adventurous, and you want me to get on a seesaw. Come on. The world 
is pressing us all the time to put, position ourselves and present ourselves in a way that is, is the most impressive to the highest number of people. That's the whole point. That's the culture today. How can you present yourself in a way that impresses the highest number of people? And it's gotten into the church. And it's hindered the church because it's made people too aware of themselves. Jesus didn't save us to be worried about what other people are going to think about us. That's not what the cross was about. You have to get to that place where you don't care about it. That you're willing to get undignified. So, you can't be caught up in a fear of failure. You can't be caught up in a fear of what others think. But see, that's where you're going to be if, you, if you're not over yourself. Now, some are too dignified to raise their hands and pray, let alone step out in the gift of the Spirit. However, you need to understand that fear gives way to boldness when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. I remember I was on a job site one time, and my job, I wrote reports every every day. Mark knows about this. He did the same kind of work for a season. But anyway, I'm on a job downtown. I did a whole lot of the buildings downtown, by the way. But I'm on this particular building downtown, and the superintendent, they're pouring a, 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 a lot of yards of concrete on that day, and I'm there watching over it and all that, and I'm writing my report, and I've got a pencil, and I'm writing my report. And they had some loads of concrete that they placed in a, in a critical placement that were out of specification. So I'm writing it down. So the foreman goes and tells the superintendent, man, he's, he's writing us up. So the superintendent comes out to say, Tim, you got a minute? And I said, sure. He said, Tim, I, I hear that you're writing some things with a pencil in your report. And I said, oh, yeah, I am. He said, it's things that are not so favorable for us. I said, they're only true. All I'm doing is writing down what, what the truth is about what's happened here. He said, yeah, but you know that pencil. I said, yeah, what about it? He said, it's just a thing. It's subject to you. I said, yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. That pencil is completely subject to me. It will do whatever I tell it to do. It's going to write whatever I tell it to write. He said, you see, you get my point. You're a smart guy. See, you can have that pencil write something different. I said, well, see, that's where you and I are a little different. He said, what do you mean? I said, my pencil don't like me to lie. <laughs> he said, then it'll do whatever you tell it to. And I said, well, the Lord I serve don't like me to lie either. So you're outvoted. So he said to me, he said, we have a way of dealing with smart A's like yourself. That's what he called me, a smart A's. I said, you do? And he said, yeah, we just take you outside this gate right here, this fence surrounding the job site, and we just break your legs and leave you there. I said, well, could you get it over with so I can crawl back in and finish my work? He just started laughing. He said, you're a piece of work, man. He said, just write whatever you write. Forget about it. We're afraid of what people think. If we, if we buy into the deceptive lies and threats and all that goes on, we get stopped in our tracks from doing what the Lord has told us to do. Sure. I remember she and I in the province, we going around places, we saw a place where they're having a party, so we decided, let's go witness there! Really, move. So we do. And so as we're approaching, there's this guy on the porch, and he says, what do you want? And I said, I just want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. He, he loves you. He died for you on the cross. He said, you say another word about Jesus, and he pulls out this big switch plate. He says, I'll cut out your heart and let you see it beat before you drop dead. And I looked at Sheila, and he just started backing away. And I said, hey, no problem. I understand you. I'm not going to tell you another thing about Jesus Christ. I'm not going to tell you how you pay for your sin. I'm, and as we're backing away, I'm just preaching to the guy. I just keep preaching. He didn't come off the porch to come get me. Why? 
Because he's immobilized by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not allowed to do anything to me any more than Pilate was allowed to do anything to Jesus unless the Father said it was okay to do. That's right. Yep. True. Amen. True. There's a lot of crazy things we did and still do. But you can't do it if you're not over yourself and out of the way of the Holy Spirit so you can get in behind him and go where he's going and do what he shows you is yours to do. You know, the first disciples were greatly misunderstood and mocked when they were baptized with the Spirit. And by the way, there's no evidence in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit moved in a gathering and there was zero manifestations. When the Holy Spirit showed up on Pentecost, there was a mighty wind and invisible tongues of fire and then speaking in tongues. Later, after being threatened by the high priest and religious council for preaching Jesus at the temple, the disciples gathered to pray for more, bold, more boldness to proclaim Jesus. They've been put in, they've been put in prison, the inner prison, and the angel come and turn them loose. And they've been threatened, severely threatened, and told not to preach any longer in this name, not to not to be doing this. So what did they do? It shook them a little bit. They had already been baptized at Pentecost. This is well after Pentecost. They, they already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But they get a prayer meeting together and they say, Lord, you see why they, they quote scripture. The, the nations imagine vain things and the heathen rage against your Christ. So give us boldness to go right back to where we were when we got arrested. And do this again. Speak. And proclaim Jesus. And you know what it says? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the place they were gathered was shaken. And it wasn't an explainable earthquake. <coughs> Holy Spirit shows up in a demonstrative way. When there's a willingness to let him have his way. Amen. Especially when it goes into the purpose for which he came to start with. Jesus told his disciples that they were going to be baptized. And he wasn't saying, make sure all of you have been water baptized. He said, make sure you're fire baptized. Water baptized matters. It's a part of the Christian faith. It's part of what we do when we put our faith in Christ, it's a confession that we make, it's a symbolizing that we've died to our old self and we are raised in newness of life with Jesus Christ. But it's even more than a symbol. It, just think about it. The early Christians did that at the risk of death. They did it at the risk of their family losing them because they go to prison. They risked everything to go into the water. To make that statement, I'm here. I don't live any longer now as Christ. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. These guys were filled with the Spirit. The place together was shaken. The gifts of the Spirit are evidence of His presence among us. They're observable. They're not hidden. They're not silent. The obedience the Father's looking for is obedience to the Holy Spirit. He's not looking for your own self-prescribed obedience. He's pleased with surrender to the Holy Spirit in faith because that's the great purpose of the cross of Christ. See, the plan of God is so much more than just a way to forgive your sin. It's so sad when all the cross gets relegated to is the forgiveness of your sin. Because it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. That's a beautiful part of it. But it's so much more than that. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is important because Jesus made him important. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, 
For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, if you know anything about the whole story of how Jesus died on the cross and was buried, but rose again on the third day, just like he promised, you would know that on the day that Jesus died, these guys had gone into hiding for fear of the Jews. But they were no longer afraid after seeing Jesus alive again and hanging out with him for 40 days. So he's telling them, hang out here in Jerusalem, God. It's going to take another 10 days. He didn't tell them 10 days. He said, wait. He didn't give them a timeline. Just simply wait. He's having to tell them, hang out in Jerusalem until the culmination of all that I've gone through arrives. What would that be? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Jesus was excited about the coming of the Holy Spirit because as John the Baptist had declared, Jesus would be the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you want to be baptized by Jesus, he's not putting you in a tank of water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Why does it make Jesus excited? He knew it was by the help of the Holy Spirit that he did all that he was able. Jesus, think about this. It's going to go over some of your heads, but ponder it. Jesus was the Word at creation. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit made things happen according to the Word that was spoken. Jesus wanted followers who were just as supernatural as he was, and he knew that that would require him to baptize his disciples with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the word of life. It is the Holy Spirit that makes that word of life manifest in you. That's the Holy Spirit. Living as one in Christ's image is not as much a matter of pristine morality as it is being spirit-filled in. You're not bearing the image of Christ by trying to keep commandments and be a good boy or a girl. You're bearing the image of Christ when you're living in surrender to the Holy Spirit and doing whatever He shows you to do. Because that's what Jesus did. Remember, Jesus said, the things I do and even greater things shall you do when I return to the Father. When I return to the Father. Now let me, just quickly, how many have ever been in a church situation where it was taught that 1 Corinthians 13, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Uh, you know, tongues and prophecy and knowledge will pass away. Right? And they say, well, the perfect has come. We've got the Bible. The canonized scripture, we have it now. The perfect has come, so we don't know we don't need tongues, the gifts of the Spirit. We don't we don't need prophecy. We don't need those things anymore. We don't need them. Meanwhile, when that was written it was many years after the birth of the church. And they had scriptures. Old Testament scriptures. That in their minds they had all the scriptures they needed. So if that was talking about scripture, they weren't getting that. That's not how they were understood. But let's just take that statement that when that which is perfect has come, then these things in part will be done away with. And, and let's just say that you're under that preaching and the guy's saying to you, he's saying, So tongues are not for today, they're of the devil. They're meant to deceive well-meaning Christians who take them down a wrong kind of path. But why doesn't all the bars and the brothels and the drug dens and the prisons have tongues happening all the time? 
Why does it only occur in the church? Some things are just too simple. So they're saying that, and they're saying, because that which is perfect has come. We don't need these things. We've got the Bible. Okay? But it said that not only would times of prophecy be gone at that when, the, when the perfect comes, so will knowledge. So stop telling me to read this. And stop telling me to listen to you. And stop telling me to be teachable. Because knowledge is gone too. It doesn't matter anymore either. Why are you building that Bible school? <clears throat> you won't need knowledge, you won't need tongues, and you won't need prophecy when you get to heaven. When Jesus returns and he gives us our glorified bodies and all the things are completed and everything is brought to its final state, you're not going to need tongues, you're not going to need prophecies, and you're not going to need knowledge. You will know as you are known. But until then, you need, you need what the Holy Spirit gives. You don't get to ask the Holy Spirit to stop being who He is and doing the things the way He does them so that you can feel better about some things. A little more comfortable about it. I was down in Mexico and I was not quite done with my message and the Holy Spirit said, just pray for people right now. I hadn't even completed my message. I said, okay. So I said, uh, Holy Spirit wants me to pray for anybody wants to pray right now. Wants, wants to Come on. Everybody. Turns out the pastor, he's a reformed guy and he's thinking and so he does, he does, he's a secessionist on top of that. If you know what that is, they don't believe in the gifts. So here I am calling his church forward, and they're coming forward. And I said, I need someone who can interpret for me as I pray for people. And his wife comes up, and she's standing beside me. I said, now as I pray, you, you tell them what I'm praying. You just tell them whatever I'm praying over them. I begin to pray for the first one, and she goes to reach up, and she touches my shoulder, and she's thrown into the drum set. She wipes out the drum set on the stage. She's out. She's gone. <laughs> well, as soon as that happened, I'm like, I got no interpreter. So I just go through, and I'm just tapping people. And they're like dominoes, and when one falls into another one, they fall. And they're just on top of each other, thinking not a thing about it. They're just out. In the spirit. The Lord's doing surgery on them. In their soul. Because they've been restricted from all that is possible to them. By someone who is teaching against it. But when it was all said and done. The pastor couldn't be against it anymore. Because he just watched a demonstration of the power of the spirit at work. And I didn't have that in my plan. I didn't write my notes. Be sure that everybody falls down. So get them set up for it. You talk about what it means to be slain the Spirit for 30 minutes and then just pray. No, none of that was there. I was preaching a completely different message. And many were healed. Supernaturally. Not because I declared healing. They just healed while they're out in the Spirit. His body's piled on top of each other. The Holy Spirit does things that you can't explain. We're in the crusade at night, and, and while the preaching is going on, you've got people throwing up foam all over the place, getting delivered from demon spirits. It's not like they had... 24-hour virus stuff, all of it looks the same. It looks like shaving cream. It's gross. 
They're convulsing. They're bent over. Looks like they're spitting up shaving cream. Or that they swallowed Alka-Seltzer or something. And all of them the same thing. But when it's all done, they look different. They totally look different. They behave different. There's a joy on them all of a sudden. And it wasn't through a method that this stuff is happening. It's just getting out of the way of the Holy Spirit. And just letting Him do His thing. We've been here before and had people who just want the words being preached, being healed. Because see, it's not about whether I laid hands on them or not. It's about what the Holy Spirit does. And when He does what He does, He brings glory to Jesus in it. Amen. You can't deny there's a God who's alive when the Holy Spirit's at work. Jesus made sure the Holy Spirit matters, folks. We should make sure that we understand that. And we agree with that. We believe it and we receive everything that comes with it. Everything that comes with it. When I came into the kingdom of God, I came in supernaturally. Nobody orchestrated anything. I was saved in a sovereign, supernatural way. A couple of weeks later, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit with no teaching on it. Absolutely no clue of anything to do with what it means to be baptized in the Spirit. And when I got baptized in the Spirit, I began giving prophecies and words of knowledge to people. And when they'd ask me, how do you know these things? And how do you, I'd say, all I know is I just feel something in my innermost being. And if I feel like if I don't release this, I'm going to blow up. And so when I finally got to a spirit-filled church, I did it in the Missionary Baptist Church too. Sometimes I'd be sitting there and I, I got a hold of something. I'm like, you know, I can't, I can't go there. I can't go there. Ha! The Lord says! <laughs> and I have to release it. That's how the Holy Spirit operates. And he's looking to operate that way through all of Jesus' followers. Not just a chosen one or two or three or four or five or a hundred among a million or whatever. Every one of us is who he wants to work in and through. But to do that, we've got to get over ourselves. We've got to get out of his way. We've got to follow his Jesus said, the things I do and even greater things you will do when I return to the Father. The joy set before Jesus regarding the cross is not about producing moralists who think they're superior to everyone else and sit around and bellyache about the wickedness of the world. Come on. He was filled with joy knowing he would baptize us with the same beloved Holy Spirit he was baptized with at the Jordan. Which came, by the way, with a manifestation. The Holy Spirit's talked about 96 times in the New Testament. That matters. God doesn't want us out in front of the Holy Spirit asking Him to bless whatever we determine is best for us. Because He knows we would choose what only looks good to us. He knows that. Trusting God involves trusting Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And being led by the Spirit begins with being baptized with Him. And to be baptized by Jesus is to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And this, brothers and sisters, is why the Holy Spirit is important. I plan to talk more in the future about the evidence that Scripture gives us in tremendous abundance on the work of the Spirit. It's prolific throughout the New Testament. And when you see it, it's, it, every time you see something going on, it's unexplainable. You can't scientifically explain it. It's just unexplainable. But yet it's attractive. You even have people in the New Testament want to, to have that ability and offer money for it. 
and get rebuked for that. And get rebuked for that. When I've been out of country and had people come to me, young men come to me before and say, Lay hands on me that I can have your mantle. I said, It doesn't work that way. And they said, What do you mean? I said, If you'll believe and have faith, it's the same Holy Spirit. And he'll work in you the same as he does anybody else. And it might look different coming out of you than it does coming out of me. But it's the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit. The church has got to come back in these last days. If there's ever been a time the church needs the Holy Spirit now. Right now. And so the church has got to come back to that place of Solid faith and determination to walk by the Spirit, to be open to the Holy Spirit. If he's received by faith, same as Jesus for salvation, is received by faith. Paul makes it clear in the Galatian letter. And that's how we do it. Every day, you could go every morning, you say, Holy Spirit, today I just want I want to partner with you. Fill me afresh today. Show me what you're doing and let me join you. Yeah. Let me join you. And the Lord will take you on some adventures. If you're bored with your Christianity, you need the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you need the Holy Ghost. If you're bored with your Christianity, you need the Holy Ghost. That's the problem. If you're, if you're walking with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to be bored. And you're going to have some stories to tell. And by the way, if you want your kids to grow up loving Jesus, how about being able to tell them some faith stories where you walked with the Spirit and the Spirit worked through you? You know, just the other night, we're sitting around the table, my daughters are talking about how they remember seeing things happen when they were small kids and growing up in life, having people that bring boys to the porch, the boys would get prophesied to. Things that they just witnessed the operation of the Spirit all their life. All their life. And then my sons, who have been rebels, will still sometimes reach out to me and say, I got somebody that needs a deliverance. I got somebody. Why would they do that? Because yeah. <laughs> they've seen something, they witnessed something supernatural. That they can't shake. No matter how they try, they can't shake it. Brothers and sisters, we need the Holy Spirit. More than maybe we think we do. Because he's wanting to show up and show out for the world that God is still alive. Jesus is still on the throne. And his name is still above every man. It takes the Holy Spirit to get that in your heart. You cannot lecture somebody to get that. Now God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. No doubt. But Paul made it clear. My preaching was not with eloquent words, but with the power and demonstration of the Spirit. The power and demonstration of the Spirit. I watched my friend Jeff Oaks one night in an evening meeting at Trinity Chapel back in the day. Uh, in the 80s, we were having lots of people delivered from demonic spirits. Jeff has always been a big guy. If you've ever seen Jeff Oaks, he's not a little man. Jeff is like in the 230-240 range, maybe more. He's always been big bones, big. And I watched him ride on the back of a lady slithering down the aisle of the church. As a man in his young 20s. Now, how a human being slithers like a snake, you tell me. But he thought he was going to pin her down so that everybody could pray for her and get her to remember of the Spirit. And I, I couldn't help it, but I got tickled because I watched Big Jeff on the back of a tiny little lady slithering down the aisle of a church. And it bothered Jeff just a little bit. But they did get her delivered. Thank God. And in her right mind. I watched his little boys would have 
deep voices come out of them. And some of my friends would run to the back of the church when that happened. And I was right there because I was like, no, nah, no, nah, God is greater than this. Come on, man. Let's get into this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Could you stomach that? You know? I remember being in a trailer of a woman, she was a big, big, big woman, and uh, very poor because she couldn't work, she couldn't do anything, because she had this massive tumor on the side of her neck, and her head tilted that way, she was disabled. The floor was rotted out in places in her trailer, and uh, I knew when I knocked on the door, there's no way I could do a policy. It's obvious, I, I can't. I, I was doing supplemental cancer insurance policy. And uh, so I told her, I said, I, I represent a company that does supplemental cancer insurance policy. She said, well, I can't have that, obviously. And I said, I know, but apparently God brought me here for a different reason. She said, well, I said, well I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer in Jesus more than I'm an insurance seller. And the Lord wants to set you free. Would you have it? She said, what are you talking about? I said, would you like that tumor to be gone? And she said, what? I said, would you like that tumor to be gone? She said, of course I do. I'm in the condition. My house is in it because of this tumor. I wouldn't want anything more than this tumor. I said, can I put my hand on that tumor and pray for you? And she said, okay. And as I prayed for her, the tumor disappeared. And her head straightened up. And all 400 pounds of her got up out of the chair and began to jump up and down. And grabbing a hold of me, jumping up and down. And I'm thinking, oh, God, make her stop. We're going to fall through the floor. <laughs> I'm still a human being, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so by the time I left, she was born again, full of spirit, free of a tumor, and they were getting on with their life. Amen. Now, I didn't do that. That's the Holy Spirit. Right. In the name of Jesus, doing that. That's the work of Christ. I, I'm just telling you, if I would have thought about what it would look like if I did some work, I'd have never prayed for her. And to this day, that woman would still have that massive tumor on the side of her neck with her head tilted over, living in a dilapidated home. You don't know how many things the Lord might want to change in the life of someone else. When you just submit to the Holy Spirit. You can't know. You just can't know. I will do a message soon on woodhating stubble and precious things. And I will demonstrate to you that that's not about your moral conduct. It's about your surrender to the Spirit. It's about self-reliance and reliance. Ready to pray? Thank you, Lord. Father, we want to get back to the place where the church is moving with the authority you gave us in the earth. Not just to make these movies go better, for us to have a more exciting time to gather, but Lord, to make a difference in the mission field you planted us, which is right here in the Philippine region. It's where we do life in our neighborhood. It's where we go to work. It's where we go to school. It's where we shop. It's all these places. You want to make yourself known. You commissioned us to go into these places as your representatives, as your witnesses. And Lord, we, we confess to you there's been times where we've been so clammed up because we've overthought it. We've been too into ourselves. We've been too aware of the situation, who might hear us say something. <coughs> Lord, we ask you to fill us with the Spirit so we can have the boldness once again to be your witnesses. Be your witnesses. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to have your way. We ask you mercifully to help us get over ourselves and get out of here. We need help with that. We admit that. 
Some times we're just a little too deep for our own good. So Lord, we're asking for you to help us with this. We're asking you to, to begin to go out of your way to get your way in this congregation. Use us wherever we go. However you please. Would you pray that with me? Use me wherever I go. However you please. Now if you mean that, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Because he will use you how he pleases. Amen? Now, if you're here, you've never come to Christ Jesus in full assurance of faith or salvation, I invite you to come. We'll speak with you. We'll talk about what that means. We'll pray with you. You will be saved. He turns away no one who wants to be saved. No one gets turned away to get received. It's a simple thing. If you've not ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then believe it. You come, we'll pray for you. You'll get baptized. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Come believe it. Don't come with the idea of if something happens, I'll believe it. That's not fair. Don't come up here thinking, I'm going to go up there and he's going to land, and if I speak in tongues, I'll know I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's not faith. Faith is, I'm going to go up, I'm going to get the Spirit, and I'll speak in tongues or whatever he wants me to do. That's how you come. Determined to receive. Amen? Amen. If that's you, you can do that. For those that have kids downstairs, 